The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back. It's the Rebels back in the studio bringing you another Rebel Alliance Media podcast. As always, Poots and P Nate here talking about culture, talking about engaging culture with a biblical worldview. Nate, what's going on with you this week? How have you been? It's been a good week so far. Uh, I don't know. There's not a whole lot that's happening. January tends to be a bit of a lull after all the Christmas and New Year excitement. So uh, it's good. It's nice to kind of get back into regular routine. I don't know. It's been good. I feel I feel good to be back in the studio for a second week in a row. We've had like chopped up breaks for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel good to be here. Yeah. In we, garage bra- Mahal. we braved the snow. It's not snowing tonight. Freezing rain, but you know, yeah. it's, that's Canada. I almost slipped getting in here. It was just like a sheet of ice. Yeah. That happens, but we're, we made it. We're safe. We can't say the same for our drive home, but uh, <laughs> but so far we're good. Pray and for us. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Rebel Alliance. Uh, and uh, we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. If you have not checked out the other podcasts that are part of this network, I would encourage you to check out the Berean Media Network on Facebook. Um, and uh, there's both a page there that you can follow that we post updates on and post all the various podcasts for the four that are in the network. And there's also a group page where we can uh, talk about things and post things and articles. Uh, recently, it was used to uh, vote for winners of the Lamies. Uh, we are proud to say that uh, there are no Lamies in this room right now. Chris and I got skunked out of the Lamies. And here's here's what I'll say. We don't have to comment on this. Congratulations. Do we? <laughs> yeah. Con- not to each other. We don't get- here's what I'll say. Our crowns are in heaven boys <laughs> our awards they're in heaven i'm glad you got yours no, I'm, I'm not. have you ever have you ever had anybody like when something's going, actually say that to yeah you? like like legit tell you that like when something's going bad or good i feel like, like don't i worry, feel like that's an old school thing like your crowns like, are in heaven yeah i feel boy. Like, yeah and i always feel like saying awesome just like <laughs> super like upset but like, I get what you're trying to say, but it doesn't help. Yeah. Doesn't but we help. are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Um, and uh, as we launch in today uh, to Rebel News, uh, anything that happened this week you want to talk about there, Pooty? Yeah. Hollywood is at it again. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't watch this, but I, always, I checked. I'm, I'm still a little bit interested to see who wins awards and things like this. So I checked the Facebook right after the, Facebook. the Golden Globes. Yep. This week, and all it was full of with a buzz. Apparently, Oprah Winfrey acts. I didn't even know this. She does um, act. That's yeah. I think she's always acting. I think she's phony. Oh boy. Um, Oprah, if you're listening, I'm calling <laughs> come you. Come at out. me. I'm come at me, bro. Um, Stedman, what up? No, I just like. Um, but I don't like Oprah, and she won. And then 
she had she won like, like a, a lifetime award of some kind, like the Cecil something or other award, right? Which I'm sure at some level she deserves. I don't know what that's for, but yeah. Um, anyway, she went off on like a tangent. Yeah. That I can only. She describe. preached a sermon. Let's just be honest. She preached a sermon. I'm fairly confident I have spoke less preaching than she spoke at the Golden Globes, yeah, and she, she didn't even get played off. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. And I. I don't. I'm not even talking about the length of it. I just mean. I mean, she clearly went up there to uh to communicate a a a, a big idea and a, a religious idea if i'm if i'm honest right i mean she was she was up there uh waving the flag <laughs> for sure so yeah um and apparently she wants to run for president is that yeah. real that that's like happen. everybody who's been happen. talking about how horrible it is to have a tv personality billionaire with no experience as president right now is now saying hey Oprah would be good. She, so stupid. The, let's be honest, though. If she runs, she wins. She wins so handedly, it's not even funny. I Okay, so if she actually ran in 2020 against Trump, I think it would be the biggest gender split ever. Like, I think you'd get like 90% males voting for Trump and 90% of females voting for Oprah. I honestly, I think you would. It, it would be hilarious. I See, I feel, I feel like... I feel like we I, I don't feel like that would be the case. I think I think we'd get a very strong majority of men who would still vote for Trump, but there would always be those like effeminate men who would be like and I'm I'm just I know that would be like we're going to vote for Oprah because we don't want to offend the other right, side. Right. And I and I just know that would happen and so I feel like she would just crush and then it would just be a disaster because well, she has no experience doing anything. So let me tell you why it would be a disaster, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, a couple episodes ago, we talked about um, the truth. Of, I get, last last week, we talked about the truth apocalypse, right? Yeah, we did. And that was the episode. And, and then Oprah comes and helps us with our content. So thanks for that, Oprah. I have one thing to thank you for. Um, so I here's a clip. Here's a clip from uh, uh, Oprah's sermon. Uh, last week at the Golden Globes. Ready? I'd like to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press Association because we all know that the press is under siege these days. But we also know that it is the insatiable dedication to uncovering the absolute truth that keeps us from turning a blind eye to corruption and to injustice. <laughs> to, to tyrants and victims, and secrets, and lies. I want to say that I value the press more than ever before. So I'll just pause there for a second. Like, really? In it, like, right now, when, when fake news is, is kind of at an all-time high, when it has, when literally, when Google and Facebook and Twitter are being uh, investigated for uh, undeclared uh, political biases, when, uh, you know, Google is letting go of employees who, who don't support their, their role, and uh, CNN is, uh, is touting it as uh, the manifesto of hate that the guy put out, simply because he was saying that there are biological differences between men and women, when, uh, I mean, no Nobody, whether you're on the left or the right, nobody can look at the the mainstream coverage of the past presidential election and say that there is not a bias. And here she is praising the press and saying that they go after the absolute truth. Come on. Yeah, that it's complete false. The other thing that just drove me upset just from that 
two-second clip that we played, the, she says the press is under siege. Uh, they should be. Right. They're not held accountable by anyone. Right. So we, they should always yeah. be under siege because they say things in a public sphere that they're the only people who hold them accountable are themselves. And like you said, they're they're proven to be biased, so they need checks and balances. And who's doing that if we're not putting them under siege? Well, that's their job. And and um, so uh, the Washington the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, and um, the uh, and CNN have all all based on the Russia investigation alone have all printed falsehoods in the last six months. Um, w- that was frontline news that they had to write retractions for that got buried. Right, got that got buried in a in a, a small segment or scrolling text on the screen or in a, a late page in uh, in issues and editions. So, when they're not being held accountable for for that sort of stuff, when when uh, fake news is frontline news and the retraction for it is sixteen page, you know, sixteenth page news, that's a bit of a problem. But but yeah, that's exactly. that that wasn't even the main part of this clip. So here's the rest of the the clip. As we try to navigate these complicated times, which brings me to this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I'm especially proud and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Each of us in this room are celebrated because of the stories that we tell. And this year, we became the story. So, I mean, some of the stuff that she's saying here is good, right? She's talking about, um, she goes on to talk about putting an end to um, sexual abuse in Hollywood and all this kind of stuff. And, and all that stuff is good. All for that. But here's my problem. Number one, did you notice the switch in language there? Going from we go for, you know, we're, we're after the absolute truth to then the most powerful thing we can all do is share your truth, <laughs> right? So once again, when we were talking about the truth apocalypse, we were talking about this is this is where truth has died in the culture. It's it's the denial of absolute truth and instead the propping up of individual subjective truths. And and here that's exactly what she says, right? Is is that we all sharing our truth. Well, there's no such thing as your truth. There's such thing as your opinion, and then there's the truth, right? The truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. Your opinion changes and is subjective, but the truth is the truth. So there's no such thing as your truth, Oprah, or anyone else in Hollywood. <laughs> there's the truth, and there's your opinion. And sometimes those line up, but very often they don't. Exactly. The other, the thing that drove me insane about that little particular part is she, she says— the most important thing, the most powerful thing is speaking your own truth. Well, what about all the people who her truth is different then? So I'm sure all the people who are doing the things that work, we also condemn. I don't, I'm not pro sexual harassment or anything like that, but I'm sure they thought that was okay at the time. Right. I'm, so what about all the people who are wanting to speak something that we don't agree with? Right. Do they well, not have a right well, to their well, own the personal truth? truth? Is, Oprah would not appreciate us. No. preaching our truth well our, right? tr- our truth wouldn't be truth to her but that's yet- my point point. and so she would she would 
quite honestly, I mean, if she's among our listeners, <laughs> I'm sure she would hate this. She right might now. be the 14th listener. She, she might be the 14th, but um, she would not validate our truth. What she means there is if your truth lines up with her truth, right? And yes. that's the that's the problem. And and again, well, what about the white supremacists' truth? Right. What about the pedophiles truth? What about the Christian truth, the Islam truth? Right. It's if truth is subjective, then she has no way of then let's not even call it truth. It is your opinion. That's what she's talking about. But what she's empowering here or trying to empower is people who are speaking her truth. And 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 let's be honest, she's built an empire on pushing her truth. Right. Uh, And it's the truth of secular humanistic pluralism that's that's her truth um so there's that here's the other problem that i i find is that she like i said she goes on to condemn the sexual harassment and 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 she basically says like it's time time's up became the hashtag for the golden globes right time's up she says you know i think she talks about like white males and it's like your time's up right talking about them as the abusers thanks oprah like they're like it's come to an end now because you've said it right reese witherspoon tweeted after this she's like this is a legit tweet from reese witherspoon she says i will now divide time differently from before oprah's speech to after oprah's speech she actually tweeted that so oprah's christ now (laughs) we're gonna measure time based on before oprah and after oprah like come on oprah just became the antichrist they're like (laughs) all the dispensationalists (laughs) yeah good call (laughs) we thought she had the blood moons man so so i mean and the hypocrisy is what bothers me so i'm sorry oprah but you can't stand on that stage and decry and and denounce sexual harassment when there are multiple pictures online of you having dinner with hugging kissing harvey weinstein in fact isn't there isn't there a a uh a lawsuit going on right now with a young actress who is suing Oprah back in November it came out that she became a victim of Harvey Weinstein's because she says seeing Harvey spending time with Oprah she assumed that Harvey was a good guy so I mean you can't don't tell me that you don't know what's going on this is the hypocrisy that is Hollywood and and you and if you watched any of the Golden Globes you saw all these actors and actresses talking about you know me too and I was abused too. But what's interesting, and and I'm not saying, like, I I don't want to discredit that. I don't want to assume that they're telling a lie or anything, but then name the name. Why why are you not naming the name? You can stand up there and say me too, but name the name because probably a lot of those predators are in that room. But the problem is, is, uh, you know, why is Oprah suddenly so popular today? Because a couple nights ago she gave that speech. Guess what? She's had the biggest platform of any woman probably in the history of mankind. And she has not talked about sexual harassment for the last year, two years, three years. It's only now when it's trendy that she uses it as a political platform to then say she's going to go and run for president. The hypocrisy is just ridiculous to me. Yeah. So that bothers me. Yeah, that's completely true. And can we refer to her as O from now on? Oh, I just O. O, the O network. Yeah. She drives me insane. She does drive me insane. So that's our little tirade about Oprah. Can can I just throw in one more thing that drives yeah, me insane yeah, about the Golden it. Globes? Yeah. Did you watch the Natalie Portman co- clip? Oh, yeah, yeah. This what? this <clears throat> killed me too. Yeah, yeah. So, so the um, it was best directors. Is that what what it was? Yeah. So uh, yeah, the frame of reference is that is she was announcing 
the best directors for the Golden Globe. And she went up and because all of the nominees happen to be men, um, she assumes that that's a systematic yeah. thing where we've naturally chosen to not put any any women for it. So she went the all male director category is and everybody, you know, gets all up in arms. Right. Which then causes, rather than people say, well, maybe, like, let's just logically think, maybe the best five directors this year for the movies that were directed were men. Right. If, that is, if, if there's only five that get picked, it's very possible in an industry, which I did the research, is eight to two dominated by men. It's very, it's very chance likely that 80% of the best movies would be directed right. by men. It's just possible. Right. Let's also consider the fact that the same five movies were chosen for best Pitcher, which also means like, like that's generally how it goes. None of the women were shafted for that either, but nobody made a big deal of it because best pitcher is just that's how it goes. But she assumed that it's a systematic thing about a, a gender related thing when it's like, no, yeah. can it not be? What happens if it was all women? Would we be would men be able to go up and be like, well, it's an all women category? Why has it become a gender thing when it's just the best? And I'm not saying throughout history that maybe there has been times where a woman's deserved it and they've been shunned because of of her gender. I know that thing kind of thing has happened, but why do we naturally assume now that that's still the case Right. every single time that right. there's, I would anything. love, I would love for Natalie Portman. So Natalie, if you're among our listeners, <laughs> I would love for you. You didn't even tweet it out. You don't even have to call me. Just tweet it out. Who, what female director do you think deserve to be nominated this year? Well, they, they threw out the, the lady who directed Wonder Woman and I'm like, okay, Wonder Woman was a great movie. I quite enjoyed Wonder Woman. I'm not an expert to know that this movie, it wasn't right. nominated for Best Picture and none of the actors or Got wasn't, nominated for anything. were nominated for right. anything. So why do we, why yeah. do we think it should be nominated? It just blows my mind, my friend. Yeah, I know. I hear you. So. It's, uh, I saw a tweet that went out and it said something about how um, it was like sarcasm. And it basically said, uh, um, the world ends and Hollywood uh, reminds us that women and visible minorities were most affected, <laughs> which, I, which I, I just, I thought that was hilarious that because that, hilarious. that's like, that's it. That's, that's the thing now. That's exactly so, what it is. All right. Well, we're going to get uh, more up in arms about Hollywood if we keep going here. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and tell you about uh, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is uh, why preterism is uh, so important. So let's take a break and we'll be right back. Are you afraid to open the last book of your Bible? Do you think you need special revelation to understand the book of Revelation? Are you scared you'll get left behind trying to understand all that symbolism? Are you afraid your brain might rupture trying to figure out when the rapture will happen? Relax. We've got good news for you. The book of Revelation is filled with many symbols and much imagery, but you can gain understanding by learning fundamental rules of interpretation and applying them properly to the biblical text. Let Pastor Nate Wright guide you through his Eschatology 101 video series. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. That's Eschatology 101 with Nate Wright at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. Welcome back. So today we're going to talk about what preterism is and why it's so important. So Nate, why don't you break that down for us? Yeah. So uh, basically when we come to prophetic 
texts, um, uh, texts in the Bible that predict that something is going to happen. Um, there's a number of different ways for us to read it. Um, and so preterism is simply, it just, it, it literally means past fulfillment. So we have a tendency, and uh, C.S. Lewis says that uh, he uses the term chronological snobbery, that we have a, we have a, a disposition to begin to believe that the time that we are living in is the most important time in him, human history, and therefore we read everything into today. So when we come to areas of scripture where it says something is going to happen, our, I think, sinful tendency is to think that they're talking about our future. And we have to remember that the Bible was written uh, 2,000 years ago, the New Testament in many cases, and obviously in the Old Testament much longer than that. And the idea is that there's been thousands of years of history when those things could have been fulfilled. And so preterism is simply a way of reading prophetic texts um, that looks to the past fulfillment of those texts. So, for example, Matthew 24, and we'll go there in just a second, um, and the book of Revelation, those are the kind of the two texts that we'll look at tonight. Um, Oftentimes, Christians think about the book of Revelation, and we think immediately, okay, this is a book about what's going to happen in the future. Again, book of Revelation was written 2,000 years ago, and so there's been 2,000 years of history when that could have happened. So the idea isn't that um, the book was about something that happened in the past. It's about, um, it's a prophetic text that talks about the future when the book was written, but now that we live 2,000 years after, the fulfillment is in our past. So I'll give you a good example. Um... Matthew 24 uh, is a text that many of us uh, know, and uh, it talks about, like even in, in my Bible that I'm looking at right now, it says signs of the end of the world is like the headline for it, right? And it talks about, uh, um, you know, I'll just start in verse 3. Uh, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us when these things will be. I'll just skip down a little bit. <clears throat> it says, uh, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear w about wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And let's just be honest, in our, in, in our modern culture, when, when we hear about earthquakes and famines and wars, there's a lot of people in our churches who start rising up and saying, oh, it's the end, right? It, you know, and then uh, verse 9 says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, uh, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, uh, and, and you can keep going there. But the idea is that when we hear a lot of these things, we, we immediately think, okay, this is signs of um, the end of the end of the world. My, what preterism says is Jesus is making a prediction about what will happen. Has this already been fulfilled? So the first reaction isn't, this is going to happen in our future. The first reaction is, has this been fulfilled now in our past, but in the future of the reader? So um, why this is so important was the other part of your question. And, and here's, here's, when I was in university, um, there was a uh, philosopher uh, called, named Bertrand Russell. He wasn't when I was in university. He's an old guy. But uh, I, I had a professor who brought up the uh, arguments of Bertrand Russell, who claimed that Jesus was not just not a prophet, but a false prophet because he made false predictions. So he went to Matthew 24 
And so I was just reading to you out of Matthew 24. Uh, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the power of heaven will be shaken, then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. So those are the parts. Okay, that sounds like the second coming of Christ, and that's how most Christians read that. But what Bertrand Russell did is he went down to verse 34 and he said, Jesus, this is still Jesus talking. He says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what Bertrand Russell said was clearly Jesus taught that before the generation passed away that he was speaking to, he would return. And since he didn't return, he was wrong, and as, as, he's wrong as, uh, as since this prophecy is wrong, he is a false prophet. So that's why it's important, because when I was taught that in university, when I was, that that sent me into a cocoon. I was always taught Matthew 24 is is about the end of the world, and this, ver- this verse seems so clear. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So you have to have an answer to that question, and that's what really started me down uh, looking at preterism and like i said preterism is just past fulfillment so it looks at texts like matthew 24 and says have these things already been fulfilled so that's what preterism is you jumped into this slightly differently how did you kind of fall into preterism (laughs) i fall i fell into preterism by trying to see what because i i the very second the i told you this story one time before the very first book anybody ever gave me after i became a christian like non Bible book was tribulation force by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. So if you're not familiar with that book, it's book two of the left behind series, right? (laughs) Which is like the magnum opus, I guess you say of the dispensational world. Now Um, it's like basically a, a a story describing what's supposed to happen through the book of revelation. Right. Obviously as a young impressionable teenager, you get that book and you want, you want to, you want to read, you want, we want to read apocalyptic literature, literature. This is, what people want to read. We still watch shows and talk about this all the time. So I started reading this book, enthralled by it, went back, read the whole series, read every book of it, and was convinced that's how the end of the world happens, that there's a rapture, there's tribulation, the Antichrist rises, probably from like Romania or something in the books, like I can't remember where he's from. (laughs) I think he actually was from Romania or something, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Nikolai Karpathian is the guy's name in the books, but anyway. That's um, the name of the Antichrist? Yeah, in the books. Nice. I can't remember any of the other names, but that one sticks out just because I'm always watching for it, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, read all the books and then, you know, down the road in my faith, decided to try to interpret Revelation and start reading Revelation. I was told very early on in in my Christian walk, read Revelation three times, no more, because... Never a fourth. Never, No, a fourth (laughs) fourth is... No, you read it three times because then you'll be blessed if you've read it three times. Thanks for that. You YFC worker. Um, anyway, so I tried to read it after I had read the Left Behind series and to try to see the teaching of that, expecting it to be like all the other books in the Bible that I've read, like Genesis or right. Matthew, where it's, it's fairly obvious what's happening in the story. Well, Revelation doesn't come it's not that so easy. Not so obvious. Not so obvious. So that led me down like you you always use the phrase that you put you in a cocoon it put me into a spiral of like i am not nearly as smart as i think i am so i tried to find an answer to this question and i stumbled upon 
at that point, the predator, the, the predatorism worldview, and then started investigating and I, and it opened doors to make me see things in a whole new light. Right. So, um, so here, here's, um, in case this is new for anybody, um, we'll just walk you through, uh, Matthew 24 a little bit and, and show you why we think that. So when we look at, um, that phrase, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So there have been a couple of different ways that people have interpreted this verse or the, this passage. So Matthew 24, and you can just take, take a look at it. Um, Starting in verse 3 all the way down to verse 28, um, modern Christians generally look at those things and they say that um, this is all about the end of the world. So all of Matthew 24 is about the end of the world. Um, But I think most scholars and and most, uh, I I don't want to say people who read their Bible because that sounds so pretentious, Um, (laughs) but people who are taking this stuff seriously and, and, uh, and looking into this have generally, um, put, um, verses three to 28 as, um, Jesus isn't talking about the end of the world here. He's talking about the end of the Jewish age, the end of kind of, uh, the, 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 um, sacrifices, um, what he's alluding to there when he's talking about wars and rumors of wars and the destruction and the tribulation was, uh, Rome destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD. I'll tell you why they've thought that for a long time, but then most of them, uh, a lot, a lot of scholars throughout the ages who don't fall into a preterist, uh, understanding of this text say that Jesus switches gears in verse 29 when he says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light because it's hard to imagine that sort of stuff, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, the sun hasn't been darkened. The moon still gives its light. The stars haven't fallen out of the sky and nobody's seen the son of man appear, you know, in clouds of glory. So they say in verse 29, Jesus switches gears and stops talking about 70 AD and starts talking about his actual second coming. The problem with that is that verse 34, which is the problem text, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, happens after verses 29 to 31. So if you believe that Jesus is saying this generation, meaning the generation to whom he's speaking, won't pass away until all these things happen, you have to include the verses 29, 30, and 31 in the all these things. So there have been a couple ways that scholars have tried to get around this. Number one, they've tried to say Jesus isn't referring to the generation he's talking to. He's referring to the generation who see those signs. There's a very obvious problem with that. And that is that Jesus said this generation, not that generation, (laughs) right? There's a Greek word for that, (laughs) just like there's a Greek word for this. And he said this generation, meaning the generation to whom he's speaking. The other problem is that Jesus, uh, the book of Matthew uses that this Greek word for that we translate generation. He uses it um, uh, several dozen times throughout the book of Matthew, and it always means the generation to whom Jesus is speaking. So it's not like Matthew is using this word differently in this one place than he is anywhere else. The other problem with uh, interpreting the switch in Jesus' uh, subject matter in verse 29 is that Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days. And so if he thought that um, verses 3 to 28 were about 70 AD and verses 29 to 31 were about his second coming, he wouldn't have used the word immediately after. He would have said 
a long time after, <laughs> right? And the Bible uses that language at the end of the at the end of Daniel's prophecies. It says, "Bind up these prophecies; the time isn't near." So, um, so there's just a, all kinds of very obvious readings. So here's what I'm going to say about preterism for anybody who feels like we're we're wading in a little deep now. Here's what I think preterism does well: it reads the Bible plainly, right? It 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 makes plain indicative statements plain, and it makes the hard symbolic language. Um, symbolic. So the problem is, is that if we say that, um, you know, stars falling from their sky and uh, the sky and the sun not giving its light, if we say that's symbolic, right? So this is the problem. If you want to make that about the end of the world, then what you're saying is, well, the sun is still light out. Stars haven't fallen. Therefore, this can't be true. So Jesus must mean something different other than this generation will not pass away. So what you've just done there is you've taken symbolic language and you've made it literal, and you've made plain statements like this generation will not pass away, and you've made them symbolic. So you've flipped it around. You've, you've made the symbols um, plain and the plain a symbol. And that's just not how we're meant to read scripture. So some of you might be sitting there going, okay, well, what is the answer to the moon not giving its light and the stars falling out of the sky? And I would just say the other thing preterism does well is it allows the Bible to interpret the Bible. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 13, what you'll see in Isaiah chapter 13 is that there's a judgment given uh, by God through the prophet Isaiah concerning the destruction of Babylon. And in that passage, um, verse 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. That sounds pretty familiar, does it not? And <laughs> the reason it sounds familiar is because it's the exact same language that God is, uh, that Jesus is using in Matthew. And um, the Bible, actually, if you read Isaiah 19, we don't have time to go through that, it talks about a judgment against Egypt, and it uses very similar language about Jesus coming, or God coming, on cloud in judgment and melting the hearts of the people within their chest and uh, blocking the light from the sun. The Bible uses this symbolic language when it's talking about the destruction of empires, right? Egypt was destroyed. It talks about the sun not giving its light. Babylon gets destroyed. The sun's not giving its light. In Matthew 24, he's talking about Israel being destroyed in 70 AD by Rome and the sun not giving its light. It's symbolic language. It's talking about the lights going out on a particular nation. And, uh, and that's what I think um, he's talking about. If you want further evidence that this whole passage is about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, just look at the subject matter. So what's happened in context, Matthew 23, Jesus has just declared all these woes on the Pharisees, all the things that they're doing wrong. And then he, sit, he ends chapter uh, tw 23 by saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's just said, your house, meaning the house of Jerusalem, right, will be left to you desolate. The next verse, verse 1 of chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point him to him the buildings of the temple. He answered, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be uh, left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then starts our new context. 
or our context, not new context. In verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us will, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So they're essentially asking, what, what, what things are they asking? When will these things be? He's just talking about the temple being toppled, the temple being destroyed. Historically, we know that happened in 70 AD. And so what he begins to talk about is the destruction of the temple. He's answering their question. When will these things be? And then they recognize. So when they ask the question, what will be uh, the sign of your coming at the end of the age? What they recognize is that if the temple's destroyed, sacrifices stop. Um, the Jewish system stops, the priesthood stops. So it's the end of this Jewish age as they know it. They know that because they know different ages have happened. There was the age of exile. There was the age of coming back under Ezra and Nehemiah. There was the reestablishment under the second temple. There was all those things. And they're saying, this will be the end of that age. And so he's answering that question. And so he's talking about the horrible things that happened to Jerusalem and to the temple and to uh, both the Jews and God's people um, in Jerusalem and what's really interesting, just, I mean, if you want to go through this verse by verse, I would re- really recommend Last Days According to Jesus by R.C. Sproul. He goes through this, uh, Matthew 24, verse by verse. Um, but it's but it's quite interesting when he talks about, um, <clears throat> verse 15, he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What's so interesting there is, you know, so a lot of people who are putting this in the future, they talk about the desolation um, and they don't know what that means. Just go to the parallel passage in, in the Olivet Discourse in Luke. That exact phrase is replaced by when you see Jerusalem surrounded by army, armies, then uh, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Historically, what happened? Historically, Rome marched on Jerusalem. Uh, surrounded Jerusalem, laid siege to it, and then there was an uprising back in Rome, and and Titus had to retreat, go back to Rome to squash the uprising. The Jews thought that God had answered their prayers and sent Rome packing. The Christians recognized that the words of Jesus were true. They fleed to the mountains, and the bulk of the Christians were not in Jerusalem when Titus came back and completely destroyed Jerusalem. So, Anyway, that's it. there's a, a couple other really interesting historical things. Jesus says not one stone will be left on one another. What happened was the way that Rome uh, attacked Jerusalem was by hurling flaming boulders into the into the city from afar. And uh, what happened was a lot of buildings just burned, including the temple, which had a ton of gold in it because Herod built all this gold into the temple. And the gold melted into the cracks between the stones. And Titus, as he was uh, ordering his people essentially to... Uh, get the gold. There's there's historical uh, evidence in Josephus and some other historians who say that every stone was pulled off of one another so they could chip the gold away that had melted between the stones. Just an interesting side note there. So <laughs> I say all that just simply to say, if you look at this passage and you aren't so quick to jump to the conclusion that this is about the our future then you can see how this is very easily uh, confirmed as something that has happened in the past. And you don't make, you don't have to do some weird finagling with verse 34 when Jesus very plainly says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. So that's the point is that Jesus is talking about when he comes, not in bodily form, but in judgment to judge Jerusalem, apostate Israel for uh, rejecting him as the Messiah. And he does that through uh, the arm of the Roman army. And that's not new either, because we know throughout the Old Testament, God uses 
pagan nations to uh, bring about his judgment, both on Israel and on other nations. So, um, so that's kind of a, a quick view of preterism from Matthew 24. I talked a lot there, so do you want to jump in, <laughs> jump in and kind of... Uh, uh, give me a break to swig some water. <laughs> yeah, you can take a drink. Um, as I'm sure most me, like most of our listeners, our minds are just blowing right now with glory. I thought you were just going to say Revelation 1-1, you know, the things that must soon take place. <laughs> so, just like, oh, well, that's yeah. why. So, I mean, I, I know we don't want to spend all the time on this, but I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this because I think that, <clears throat> quite honestly, I think I, the reason I'm passionate about this is because a lot of Christians get caught up in trying to discern when the end of the world is. And we spend so much time, uh, you know, following the news in Jerusalem, trying to figure out when the end is, is coming um, instead of, you know, being about the, the, the mission of God. Yeah. We spent, we spend more time concerned about deciphering this book than we do about living out what the rest of the Bible tells us to do. Right. So I, I find that very interesting that, this this preterism view, and we should point out for any of our listeners who are well versed in this subject, we both identify as partial preterists, not yeah. full preterists. Yeah. So we still believe in a second coming that Christ will come back. Um, but partial preterism, first nineteen verses have happened. Um, why this is so important is one you you mentioned. I thought this was the best thing. You, the best thing you said, even though all of it was great. Um, you could have just said this one thing. This one is in response to Bertrand Russell. When he says, if, if, if partial preterism isn't true, that makes Christ a false prophet. And we know that can't be the case. Right. This makes one of the factors that one of the big things we know about Christ, prophet, priest, and king, we see him predicting yeah. something pre his resurrection. Everybody always thinks of his big prophecies as his death and resurrection, but he, he prophesies many other things. And this is a big one right. that the early church grasped. They knew yeah. they were living in this age where... One age was passing away and a new age was coming. They understood this concept. That's why if you read through Peter and Paul, they spoke of the return of Christ with an imminency, like that this was happening. And it doesn't make sense if it's going to be 3,000 years later or 2,000 years later that the end of the world would come when Donald Trump rose up and he became the Antichrist or Oprah probably. Let's be honest, it's probably (laughs) Oprah or Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We don't know. We we Um, don't know. We don't know. We can't know. But this makes Christ bigger in our minds. We can yeah. see Christ as a more full, complete prophet when we see these things as having taken place. Christ's words did not go void. They, did, they happened. That's one, one reason I think this is super important for the church yeah. to grasp today. Second thing, simply, it helps us unlock this book. It helps us read Revelation properly, helps us see the signs I, Another great thing you said is use the Bible to interpret the Bible. I think the right. Revelation we've lost We've lost the plot, so to speak, where right. we, this is the only book of the Bible that anybody wants to interpret with everything but the Bible. Yeah. And preterism answers those questions using only the text in the Bible. Now, yes, there are, there are extra biblical sources that do help put some of the pieces into place. Like you mentioned Josephus, Josephus um, and some of the historians, those things don't help us understand it more, but they help us put the context that we help see, see these things through a historical view that other people were testifying to the things that we are proclaiming happened in the book of revelation. And, and then simply when, once we don't have to spend all our time worrying about is the blood moon going to be the <laughs> end of the day? Do I have two weeks left? Right. To live the earth, I can get busy with what 
Christ really left us to do, which right. is bring the gospel to all nations, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. And we, we're passionate on the rebels about reaching culture. You can't reach culture if you're hunkered down waiting for the rapture. Yep. And, yeah. Amen. Absolutely. And maybe we'll go uh, next episode into, because I know the rapture is kind of a big thing. So maybe we can take a, another episode just to kind of debunk that. Um, but obviously we don't have time to go through Revelation verse by verse. But uh, I think you nailed it when you said, look at verse one. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> when you're thinking about preterism, I mean, the book of Revelation starts off, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Here's here's uh, what, uh, what you were told, right? Blessed <laughs> is the one who reads it aloud. I don't know where you got the three times from, but blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written for the time is near. So, I mean, if you just erased all the preconceived ideas you have about the book of Revelation and you just read that plainly, what would you can conclude? You would conclude that um, the things in this book must soon take place, verse 1, and that the time for, you know, the warnings within this book is near, verse 3. Those are the two things. The things that must soon take place and the time is near. That's what you would get. And what's so interesting is that what ends up happening is you go through it and they take and people generally take all of the symbols plainly or literally and then they take those plain statements and make them symbolic. So what quite honestly, I mean just think about this for a second. They, they go on there and they say, well, the things that must soon take place must be some sort of symbol for things that must not soon take place at all right soon's generic man right it can be soon like that. <laughs> and and i've heard people say that the the greek word here is takos which is where we get uh, tachometer right which is uh which um um measures speed and so the idea there is that uh they say once this thing gets going it's going to happen fast that's what that verse means Think of all the mental gymnastics and linguistic gymnastics you just did to fit that into your paradigm. Why not just read that plainly? And so I think, so I would just encourage our listeners, we can't go through all this, but if this is new to you, here's what I would say. Read the book of Revelation for yourself. All of the phrases and all of the, the text that seems like plain indicative statements, take plainly. And all the things that seem symbolic and hard to understand do 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 some hard work and when you get to a symbol you don't understand go into the bible and figure out what that symbol means biblically so when you get to locusts don't start talking about apache helicopters right when you get to locusts go where else are locusts mentioned in the bible and what you'll find is that a lot of the judgments talking about uh, that are laid out in the seals uh, in the book of Revelation are all promises that God makes in the book of Exodus and in the law to what happens to apostate nations. And, and you'll start to see the four horses, which we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Guess what? Check out the book of Zechariah. That's in there. The, the, um, a third of heaven's angels being swept away. Go to the book of Ezekiel and, and, and read what happens when it talks about the city of Jerusalem being divided into three. Use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And when you do that, you'll figure out how to take those, uh, those symbols. 
remember that the book of Revelation was written to a bunch of uh, first-generation Christians who uh, had the Old Testament text as their Bible. And so the symbols used are generally symbols that you'll find in the Old Testament, and the way that they're used in the Old Testament is how John intends for you to read them in his New Testament writing in the book of Revelation. So we think preterism is important because it helps you understand the Bible, and uh, we don't need to look to um, our future for the fulfillment of things that have already been fulfilled. And, uh, and I think that there's a lot of interpretive power to a partial preterist view. And so I would just encourage you, if you haven't heard it, um, if you haven't looked into this, go look into it. I think there's some great teaching out there by guys like Gary DeMar, Kenneth Gentry, um, is another good one. Um, Daniel Wright, yeah. Right Now Media. Yeah. Um, R.C. Sproul, uh, Last Days According to Jesus. And, uh, and there's a lot of good teaching out there. And, and I think it will help clarify a lot of the confusing elements, uh, specifically of the New Testament for you. So there you go. Wonderful. Partial preterism. It's good. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know my mind is spinning. I'm sure a lot of you guys are. Feel free to shoot us questions. A lot of this stuff, there is there is stuff to dig into, and we're more than happy to help you unpack some of these symbols, help you show how we get to the conclusions we get to through the Bible. Um, feel free to hit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, or just send us a direct message if you don't want to post that up on public. We can we answer those within an hour usually. So um, at the best of our knowledge. So we try um, to get that little badge. <laughs> we try to get that little badge on our, our Facebook page. And let me just say one more thing. And uh, in terms of Facebook, um, we we found that uh, one of the ways that we've grown a lot is through the Facebook page. And one of the things that we're very thankful for is some of you as devoted listeners going on to our Facebook page, liking and following the page there, and then inviting your friends, your other Christian friends, people from your church to also like and follow the page. Um, That really just helps spread the word because you have friends that we don't have, but we want your friends. So invite them to like Rebel Alliance so they can become our friends too. I want all your friends. All your cheesy? friends are belong to us. Yeah, was that super cheesy? That's a little cheesy. Yeah. That's fine. Right. Cheese is good. Cheese, cheese is good. good. We're sentimental around here. We're bit. Canadians. We're Can nice. We're, we're sorry if we offended you. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah. Anyway, have a great one, guys. See you next time. <laughs>